0: Well, today we are in week five of our study through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And last week in the first half of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul challenged the church to a life of unity and growing together, using the gifts that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit um, to help the body of Christ mature. And in today's passage, picking up in verse 17, Paul begins to give us some practical instructions for Christian living. And he begins with our thought life. Hear these words from Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul strikes with a punch, doesn 't he right out of the gate here it 's strong language he says he says, "I insist that you stop living the old way of life and it 's not just Paul saying this; he lets the church, the Ephesians know, and us that the Lord, our Lord, feels the same way. It seems like the Christians in Ephesus were struggling with living out their faith with putting it into practice and you know sometimes it can be good for us to be reminded that we're not alone in our struggles because sometimes i think we can be tempted to think that we're the only ones who struggle right we think that everybody else has got it all figured out they've got their act together that there's something wrong with us that is not true Every single one of us struggles. Every one of us. And that can be encouraging in and of itself. Paul goes on to tell the Ephesians why they need this lifestyle change. And it's because he says they are currently, the way they are currently living is really dangerous. He says that their their kind of thinking is darkened and futile. That there's no happiness in that kind of life. There's no fulfillment. And he says what causes that dark thinking right at the end of verse 18. He says this ignorance is due to the hardening of their hearts. And it's not just a hard heart, it's a hardened heart. The word that Paul uses here indicates stubbornness, resistance to the things of God. It's like there had been some opportunities to change, but they chose not to change. That there were repeated choices that were not of God. And at the time, they may have seemed like innocent choices, but these choices, even small choices, had had rubbed against their heart in such a way that their heart eventually became calloused. Or it's like their vision had become blurred or their mental discernment dull and you know when the heart becomes calloused and the vision becomes blurred and the mind becomes dull then you lose sensitivity towards god and towards other people when that happens we can't think clearly the problem is that our natural minds have been darkened they've been broken by the presence of sin we don't naturally think the way God thinks. And becoming a new Christian doesn't automatically change our thought patterns. No, doing that, transforming our mind takes continuous work and practice. And so clearly, our thought life is where the battleground is. I know that's my battleground. And I can almost guarantee that it's yours, too. I mean, outwardly, the words I say and the thoughts I convey to others, I hope, seem pretty pleasing to God. But it's those thoughts that go through my mind that I don't say out loud. They're the ones that make me realize just how far I still have to go in order to tame my thoughts and renew my mind into the mind of christ you see anger and judgmentalism are two of the things that i really struggle with and both of them can be so easily triggered by those simplest stupidest of things like traffic and drivers on beachmont avenue <laughs> and i get an amen I mean, I find myself getting way too irritated by drivers that go too fast or go too slow or that ride my bumper too closely. I get mad when the arrow, left turn arrow turns green and someone waits too long to start turning. I think, that's three cars that didn't make it through that time around. I judge people who don't use their turn signal when turning or changing lanes. I judge people who drive certain kind of cars imagining in my mind that I think I know exactly the way they're going to drive or behave based on the kind of car that they drive. Oh, you're going to zip out in front of traffic, or you think you're so hot. I don't know. I've told you this before, that I will absolutely never, ever, ever, ever put one of those Christian fishes or follow-me-to-church bumper stickers on the back of my car because... I don't want to potentially bring shame to Jesus, my Lord and Savior. (laughs) But you know, if I'm being really honest with you, I get angry and judgmental with myself, too. I get angry with myself that I've gotten angry over such minor things like other drivers. I get upset with myself that I am so judgmental in my head towards others. I mean I thought I would have been so much farther along in having my mind transformed into the mind of Christ by now. It makes me feel like a failure sometimes and and this is called negative self-talk. Cognitive behavioral therapists call it cognitive distortions. It's normal. Every single one of us does it. But if we're not careful Our self-talk can become so detrimental, brutal, as a matter of fact. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can take one little mistake that I've made or one little comment that someone has made to me, and I catastrophize it. I blow it completely out of proportion, and it leads me into this downward spiral until I'm telling myself that I'm the biggest failure in the whole world, that there's nothing good about me, and when that happens... It can damage my relationships and it can cause depression. Some people believe that negative thoughts flow out of depression, but more and more, modern psychology believes that just the opposite is true that actually depression flows out of our negative thoughts. So if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. Now, you might not be able to control your feelings, but you can, you can control your thoughts. And over time, that will change your feelings. There's another level to our negative thinking that can be dangerous to our spiritual life. And it can, as Paul tells us in verse 27, it's caused by this. It's caused by giving the devil a foothold. First Peter says, Reminds us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and The devil's primary weapon is deception its lies He gets us to make a mistake to to make an error without any suspicion that what we're thinking or doing isn't right He has wisdom. He has cunning above every human being he can corrupt us. He can blind our reasoned thinking He plays on our pride, on our addictions, on our stupidities, on our temperamental flaws to induce all kinds of mental and moral folly, fantasies, unbelief, misbelief, dishonesty, infidelity, cruelty, exploitation, and everything else that degrades and dehumanizes God's beautiful creation. The devil has a plan for your life that is consistent with his name, destroyer. And he will do whatever it takes to get a foothold in your life or in your family or in your work, even in your church. And what I want us to see is that we are really in a spiritual battle with a very real enemy who has come to kill, steal, and destroy the bible tells us and the biggest way that evil does that is by feeding us lies in the gospel of john jesus says this about the devil he says when he lies he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies john 8 44. it's what the devil does and i don't know about you But sometimes I am very tempted to believe those lies. Sometimes I get so blinded, I'm so used to hearing those lies in my head that I believe them without thinking about them. Lies about myself, lies about other people. And the very biggest lie that I'm tempted to believe is that I'm stuck. That this is the way it's always been, and so this is the way it's always going to be. That things can't change, that I can't change. Do you ever feel that way? Well, Paul tells us that it doesn't have to be this way. Nor was this the way that the Ephesians had been taught Picking up again in verse 20, he says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Do you hear that? We can change we can be different we can put off the old way of life and paul names some of those things that we need to put off like falsehood anger stealing unwholesome talk bitterness and rage and then then we are to put on the new self verse 23 be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So where does this change begin? It begins in our mind, in our attitude, in our thinking. Paul says essentially the same thing in Romans 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Philippians 2, 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. I mean, what what a promise. We can have the same mindset as Christ. We can have a new attitude. We can have a renewed mind. And since we know that the Lord loves it when we pray scriptural truth, we can make this our prayer. Lord, Give me the mind of Christ. And you know, when we pray this prayer, we're going to need to partner with God in order to make it happen. You know, you can't just keep on doing the things that we've always done and expect something different to happen or a change to occur. And so there are some things that we need to do. Paul says in verse 24, he says, put on the new self. You hear that? We have to do something. I have to put something on. And the first thing I need to do is respond to this gift of God's grace with faith. I mean, I need to believe that I can have the mindset of Christ I need to believe that I don't need to stay the same. I need to believe that sin has lost its power over me, that God can heal my brokenness, that I can put on a new self created to be like Christ. And then I need to break free from some old patterns and sinful behaviors. And real change begins when I honestly acknowledge the behaviors that I want to change and tell God, God, I'm having that negative thought about that other person again or about myself. God, I'm falling prey to the lie that I am a failure or that you made me wrong or that I'm a mistake or Lord, I'm getting angry at all these drivers on Beachmont Avenue. And when we begin to see ourselves in the reality of where we are and where God can take us, then we need to repent. And the Greek word for repentance, many times we get it a little bit wrong. We think it means saying I'm sorry, but it doesn't. That word means to turn around. It means to do a 180. It means I'm like heading off in one direction in life and I realize that direction is wrong and so I turn around and I start heading in the opposite direction, a direction that takes me toward god repentance isn't just saying sorry for sin it's making a life change it's turning away from our sin and turning to god it's agreeing with god that we have not only been believing those lies but that we have somewhere along the line lost our belief in god's truth so we must come clean And ask forgiveness for our unbelief in God's promises about who we are, who God is, the plans God has for our lives, and his truth for our future. I don't know. I often get tired of (laughs) always seemingly repenting to God for the same old things. You don't have to raise your hand or nod your head, but maybe you do too. Sometimes I even wonder if God gets tired of hearing me confess the same thing over and over again. And then I remember scripture. And I remember how when Peter asked that question of Jesus, how many times should I forgive? He said, seven times? Thinking that was a lot. And Jesus said, oh no. More like seven times, 77 times. And once we've confessed and and accepted that confession, uh, that forgiveness from God, we need to ask God to do something new in us, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Because you know, whenever you take something away, you've got to replace it, especially if you take something bad away, you've got to replace it with something good, or else you're going to just have this big old empty void inside. And we're told in scripture that when that happens, the enemy is going to try and fill that big old empty void with something that we don't want it filled with. Remember in Matthew 12, Jesus says this. He says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and it doesn't find it. And then it says, I'll return to the house that I left. And when it arrives, it finds that house unoccupied swept clean put in order and then it goes and it finds seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and they live there and the final condition of that person is worse than the first so you know to have the same mindset as christ jesus means to be filled with the same power that filled jesus and that power is the holy spirit Everything that Jesus did, he did by the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is manifold, but one of those roles is to speak God's truth into us. God's truth like, you are loved, you are my child, you are not a mistake, I am with you. And then I can fill my mind with God's word. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, Paul is encouraging us to replace the lies that we've come to believe about ourselves with God's truth. And scripture plays such an important role in that. Because scripture replaces the lies that we've come to believe or the lies that Satan whispers in our ears. They're replaced with God's truth. Jesus himself practiced this. You remember how when he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, every single time that the devil tempted him, Jesus countered the devil with scripture. You can memorize scriptures so that you can pull the truth right out of your memory bank to combat Satan's lies just when you need it. And there's one more really important thing that we're going to have to do if we're to seek spiritual renewal, and that is we need each other to pursue it together. You know, the reason a lot of us get stuck is because we don't have the kind of in-depth relationships it takes to dive really deep. And the spiritual life is a team sport. You can't do this alone. Transformation is best done together, and that's why here at Anderson Hills we believe so strongly in the importance of small groups. Everyone needs to be in one. You know, this year we've been starting some new groups of three or four people called bands. Well, they're new to us, but they're not new. They're really quite old. And, you know, some things never change. In three months' time, just since about, I guess, um, uh, earlier this year, we have formed 17 bands. 17 groups of three or four people here. And what we're discovering is that people are really hungry for this kind of discipleship every week the people in a band get together and they read and they pray and they talk about what god is doing in their lives spiritually john wesley developed this practice more than 250 years ago and people in bands ask some several simple questions each week how is it with your soul what are you struggling with where have you had success and how is the spirit And the scriptures speaking in your life this past week and you know the feedback that people are sharing with us reveals that the power of god is still at work that brings transformation through groups like these people who've been sitting on the sidelines are starting to go deep again and get active people who've been thinking that they could never change find that they are changing by the power of the holy spirit People that have been plateauing find that they are growing in their spiritual life again. Maybe you've been thinking about joining a band or or wanting to find out more about them. Amy Tomlinson, our director of adult discipleship here at the church, would love to help get you connected or answer any questions that you might have. What I've come to learn is that I need to make the decision each and every day to leave my broken mind behind And to ask God to give me this new mindset. Because we get used to the lies, the tapes that have played for so many years. We get used to them to the point that it scares us sometimes to think about not having them in our life anymore. They bring us false comfort. They show up in our lives as things like addictions or binge eating or anger. Mean spirited gossip, overworking. I don't know what it is for you. You fill in the blank. You know what it is. You see, when we believe these lies, we look for ways to find comfort for ourselves and to escape the pain that we experience. But if we are willing, and if we do our part, God will certainly do his part in us. In fact, God wants to heal you even more than you want to heal yourself, but he won't do it without your consent. And you cannot do it without God's help. A lot of us become so numb, we decide that we're just not going to deal with it anymore. We tell ourselves, I've dealt with this for so many years that there's no hope for me, there's no change, but that's not true. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes a young man who is tormented by a red lizard that just sits on his shoulder mocking him. And for Lewis, the lizard represents the indwelling sin that each and every one of us struggles with. An angel comes and promises to get rid of the red lizard. And the man, for the moment, takes so much joy in that. He's thrilled. He thinks, I can finally be rid of this thing. And then he realizes the way the angel will get rid of it As the angel begins to glow with a fiery heat, he will kill the lizard. And beginning to recognize the implication, the young man says, maybe you don't have to kill it. Maybe you don't have to get rid of it entirely. Can't we just do this another time? And the angel says, in this moment are all moments. Either you want the red lizard to live or you do not. And the lizard recognizing the hesitation of this young man. Begins to mock and plead at the same time. Be careful. He can do what he says. He can, kills me. He, he can kill me. One fatal word from you. And he will. And the angel asks. May I have your permission? And the young man hesitates. It will kill me. No, it won't. But supposing it did and the angel grasps the lizard and with fiery hands kills it and lets it fall to the ground. And when it hits the ground, it suddenly is transformed into a beautiful stallion and the young man gets on it and rides to the city of God. You see, what had been the ruler is now ruled. What had been his master, he now masters. What had ridden him, he now rides. What do you need to master? Do you know what it is? What good thing would happen if you gave the Lord permission to kill your red lizard? Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for your promises. Every promise in scripture fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you know us exactly the way we are. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you love us. And you're not content to leave us where we're at but you will not rest until you have transformed us into the very likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we offer to you now our red lizard, the lies that we've come to believe, the lie that we can never change, the lie that there is no moving forward for us. Lord, we hand it to you and ask you to do in us what only you can do, and we promise that we'll partner with you lead us lord change us transform us until you see the likeness of your son standing before you and the whole world sees the likeness of your son in us and through us we lead the world to you through christ We pray this in his strong and powerful name, the name above every name, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.